Good morning. It's good to see everybody. It feels like so long since I've preached, actually. I don't know why. I'm really excited. I felt like the Lord has given me a message, and I want to call it this, walking with Jesus changes us. Walking with Jesus changes us. And so I want to give you just a short story of one particular person in the Bible and how he was at the beginning and what happens in his journey with Jesus and how he ends at the end. And so I want to refer to somebody who you probably all think you know, but the story is going to show us something very different about him. And so if I had to ask you, if you had to name a disciple for me that is super zealous and a disciple that was um, probably borderline ambitious and striving and uh, maybe didn't even love people that much, who would you give me as one of Jesus' disciples? Who would we say is one of the disciples? Most people would say Peter. Am I right? Peter. If you say Peter, you are wrong. What? No, Paul also wasn't one of those 12 with Jesus, but John. John. Everyone's like, hang on, wait. Does this guy read his Bible? Like, and so I want to talk to us the story of how John starts walking with Jesus and as he lives his whole life with Jesus, he changes. And that's why we actually don't refer to John as the ambitious, zealous, borderline wanting to commit murder. We'll show that story. Striving to be the one who sits right next to Jesus. Ambitious, wanting the glory for himself. We don't even see John as that because we often think of John in his letters and what he was referred to of. John is called the disciple of love. But that's not how he started his journey. And I want to show us that sometimes, as believers, we think the mature Christian thing is to be very zealous about God, even if it offends people. You know, I want to come to church, and I, I want the Word, and I want to worship, and I don't care. You know, people must just get on Jesus' page, and, and we're going to see how John pretty much starts his journey like that. Like, Jesus, it's all about you and what you want to do, and da da da, da. And Jesus has to slowly shape him and form him to the point that John would preach and say that if you don't love one another, don't say you love Jesus. So John, lovingly, he's the youngest of all the disciples. Of Jesus' band of misfits, John is the youngest. And he comes from, he's a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was quite a wild man. He wore camel hair. He ate locusts. Um, it's not like the liver king diet. It's like, that's literally the way. It wasn't that he tried to do it because nowadays when people eat and do weird things, it's because they're trying to achieve a physique. No, that was John's preference. He lived on honey, locusts, camel hair, garment, a bit of a wild man. And our young John was one of his disciples. And so immediately what you get is that you get somebody, John's message was, repent and be baptized. And so young John, that is how he has been shaped. And that's the attitude that he starts his journey with Jesus is. This zealous approach of repent and be baptized. And so here's the first clue as to how Jesus met John and his brother. Is that um, in Mark 3 verse 17... Uh, Jesus, it's, it's naming the disciples, and I love the fact that the disciples each have a turn to call each other things in their Gospels whenever they refer to each other. 
Um, and so this is how Mark refers to them. James and John, the son of Zebedee, all the ones that Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder. And now it might be my inner East Rand Benoni guy, but I was like, sons of thunder, that's the nickname that I want. I want to be like, yeah, sons of thunder. Like everybody else got called by their parents' name. Like sons of thunder was actually a little bit of tongue in cheek. It was a little bit of like, these guys were just wild and they were wild men when they joined him. They weren't like, I mean, again, in the East Rand, Sons of Thunder would literally be like something that you have printed on the back of your jacket, and you walk around and own that label. But for them, that would be something that Jesus would almost refer to. Um, my wife and I have been listening to this thing about the joy of the Lord, and there's actually a book written called The Humor of God, and this whole book refers to the fact that we, because of the way we read our Bibles, we don't understand how funny Jesus was. That often the stuff that he speaks about and mentions in the, in the New Testament, often it's actually, when you understand it as how it would be said in that context, he was really funny. And so one of these things, Sons of Thunder, was actually a really funny nickname that he gave them. That these are James and John, my Sons of Thunder. It's kind of like, these are my wild boys. These are like, these are the wild stallions. And so that's not what we know as the disciples of love. I'll give you an example. John, in his, at his end of his life, they referred to him as they would say that at the end of John's days, they would, before, after he was on the Isle of Patmos and he was dipped in oil and he didn't die, and the churches would carry him in on a stretcher as the last living apostle who walked with Jesus. And they would lay him down in the front of the church and they'd be like, Apostle John, is there anything that you would like to say to the church? And he would sit up and he would say, love one another. And they'd be like, okay, cool, that's great. But John, is there any like nuggets, any, any secret truths? Maybe Jesus gave you like a, a special message that we haven't got yet. Is there any key that you have for us? And he would, he would look at them and he would say, little ones, love one another. And that's the legacy that John left. We'll, we'll read some of and now that same guy, I want to show you how young John starts his journey. And it's a story in Luke 9, verse 52. And Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go to this Samaritan village, and I want you to prepare for me. I'm coming. And so, so it says this, and Jesus sent messages ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem i.e., they were being racist. The Samaritans were like, hang on, wait. you coming through here and you're going to Jerusalem. That means you're going to be with the Jews. We don't like the Jews. There was a massive racial conflict there. And so because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, they're like, we don't want anything to do with this guy. So here's our son of thunder. When James and John saw this, they said, remember, the disciple of love. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, this is no joke, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That doesn't sound super loving to me. Can you imagine James and John coming and saying, the Messiah is coming, he's coming through, make way, get ready, here he comes. And like, where are you going? Jerusalem. No, 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 we want nothing to do with him. Can you imagine at that point, John would have been like, a, what? Jesus, 
how about we just call down fire on them and burn them up? Because in his mind, he's zealous for God and the things of God. I'm making light of it, but so often this can even be our approach to Christianity. We can be so zealous for God and the things of God that we forget that people are why Jesus came. That actually, maybe John the Baptist preached the message as the most important thing, but people are the reason that Jesus came. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Like, I can imagine what that would have been like. Like, James, John, fire, really? Like, is that, is that how you want this to play out? There's another instance, which is, I mean, because at the, at, the, um, at the Last Supper, there's this amazing scripture where it says, and all the disciples, and John writes them about himself, which is great, because he's obviously a super humble guy as well. Um, but it says in the book of John that they were sitting at the Last Supper, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, I love, that's the way he refers to himself, like, the disciple that Jesus loved leant close to Jesus. I mean, and so obviously we, we would assume that he was a holy man, and no, 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 this is how ambitious James and John were. So they weren't only super quick to let the message be more important than people, and you've got to get it right, it's turn or burn, literally. He also comes with this. Then James and John, and this is in Mark 10, I love the way Mark gives all the best stuff about John, it's like... John writes about himself like the disciple that Jesus loved, and then Mark tells us the real story of John. Um, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. And they replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, <laughs> this is a little bit of striving, we want to sit next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering? And so I want you to see this. They, in their hearts, even though they had the best intentions, the way it worked out was very wrong. It worked out with this eternal burn, zealous, overachieving, ambitious. And Jesus, he starts to shape and mold them. And so this is one of the things that as you walk with Jesus and you allow him to shape you, he starts to transform you into something different. He starts to change you into his likeness and his image. Because Jesus doesn't come into a meeting like this and bring a message and just be like, actually, if nobody wants to listen, then they can all just burn in hell. No, he's very opposite. And sometimes we might even preach this, if you don't accept Jesus, yes, that's a reality to that. But Jesus didn't come and do that. Jesus came to lay his life down so that none would perish. His art was consistently out of love for others. That's what motivated him. His motive wasn't to be right and to be zealous and to have the right message. His heart was, how can I win every single one of them? And as we follow Jesus, this is how our life should start to be shaped. What we say should be so tempered by who we're talking to because our attitude is to win every single one. And so Jesus says to him, are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? I love this. Oh, yes, they replied. 
That's John. John. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we're, we're ready. We'll do this. We'll take, bearing in mind, these guys all ran away from him the moment he was arrested. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism, my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit at my right or my left. For God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. I love this. When the other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So you start to see, even in Jesus' close 12 disciples, James and John were ambitious for the things of God, but to the point that it even caused massive conflict within these 12 that Jesus had drawn so near. It starts to show, actually, I think so often we relate more to this John than to the John who writes the books of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. That actually sometimes there's striving or, or I want to be in that position of leadership or I want to be on that stage or I want to be that guy. There's a striving or an ambition inside of us. And actually Jesus wants to temper that with the only reason you will be given a message is for the people that will hear, not for the messenger. The message is for the hearers, not the sayers. And Jesus says this to them. This is how he starts to temper John. You know that the rulers in this world lorded over people. He's saying, if you want to sit at my right or my left, in your reference, those people lorded over people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, now he's addressing the, the dissension in his discipleship group. He says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom. And so we start to see that even though the things inside of John, which are like, oh, it's eternal burn, it's the message that's the most important thing, Jesus starts to teach them, no, no, you don't understand. If you want to be like me, if you want to be close to me, it's opposite to what you think. Actually, if you want to count for Jesus, it means lay your life down for others. If you want God to use you in a mighty way, it means be willing to be the servant of all, not the one who's going to be served. So John would write things like, and this is why I hope after this, even maybe in the week, you're going to read the book of 1 John, because it gives you a little bit of an insight into John. And he would say this to us in 1 John 1 verse 8. Now he's writing to the churches. It's after Jesus is gone. And he says, risen again, he's in heaven, and he says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, and we're not living in the truth. If we claim we have no sin, if we think our motives are always pure, we're not fooling anybody. Another one, 1 John 2 verse 6. And this is, I want you to see his message at the end of his life, and how it's so different to the message at the beginning of his life. In the beginning, it was, turn or burn, the message is important. Here's the Savior. Hear what he has to say. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing. To at the end, he says, if you think any one of you is blameless, you're fooling yourself. Every single one of us here, every single one of us here fall into sin. And there's not one of us that is better than the other. And there's not one of us who's worse than the other. Those who say they're living God should live their lives as Jesus did. This is John again. He's teaching the same principle. How did Jesus live his life? As a servant serving others, loving others, laying his life down for others, healing others, 
bringing in others, reaching others. 1 John 3 verse 10, another insight from John after all of this. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Okay, maybe there's a little bit of turn and burn left in him. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. That's not even does not like. Like is very different to love. John is literally saying, you can live righteously, but if you don't love, serve, pour yourself out, consider others' interests more important than yours, give of your home, invite people into your space, live a life for the sake of others. If you don't live others, actually that person does not belong to God. How can he say this? Because he's been there. Because he himself was on that side of it. 1 John 3.11, it's the follow-up to that. It says, uh, so it says, and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Last night at the gathering, Andrew preached about the fact that in this congregation, in this church, in Josh Jen, there is a value that we have. And it's the reason why we build church like this. We could have Sunningdale AM, two services together on a Sunday morning and look way more successful. We could pack out this venue, but we run the risk of not knowing everyone. And Jesus came to bring us into family where we are known. We, don't, we would look so much more successful if we just bought one big building and brought all six and a half thousand Josh Jenners together and met in one big, to everyone else, we would look super successful. Oh my word, look at that massive church with this massive venue where they, where they reach so many people. And they, no, 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 no. We would rather have smaller congregations that meet all over the show because the fact that you are known in the kingdom, that you are known in family is more important than what it looks like to everybody else. Not only the fact that you are known, but also the fact that you know everybody else. The responsibility is not on the leadership to know every single one and love them, but the responsibility on you as a believer is to know those around you and to love them. 1 John 3.16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or a sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. That is an incredibly stretching message that says if you sit here today as a believer of Jesus, you have a responsibility to, if you want the privilege of being called a Christian or a believer or a follower of Jesus, you have an obligation to love others. Our relationship with Jesus is not me, myself, and I. It's us and we and together. 1 John 4 verse 7, and I'm going to land. There's two more scriptures. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. 
But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 19. We love each other because he loved us first. This is not the same scripture in different versions. I'm, I'm, I'm reading you. This is the message. This is a book, 1 John. This is what the disciple writes right at the end of his life to all the churches. This is the guy who is willing to, to burn people alive. Jesus, let's burn them if they don't want to receive your message. His whole life lesson is like, I've walked with Jesus and I've learned this. It doesn't matter what you do. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to follow him, you lay down and you love others above yourself. Getting a lot of somber faces. It's quite fun as well, by the way. To love people and to have meaningful relationship and be pulled into family where you are known and you know others, it's actually, it's not a heavy burden. It's actually a joy to be a part of. It's actually a privilege to be a part of and to belong and to have family and to be connected. Do you know that the world's biggest pandemic that we face, globally, it's diagnosed. They'll tell you all over. I've, I've used this illustration before that there are certain countries that have officials appointed to solve loneliness as a problem in society. Loneliness is a pandemic because the devil and the age that we live in wants to drive people into separation and to separate us based on how we think or what we do or our hobbies. It's like surfers and bodyboarders. There's like this kind of little hierarchy that goes there. We want to be driven into the left or the right or into pro this or pro that or there's this division consistently that the enemy wants to bring in and the Lord is completely opposite to that and he wants to talk about how do we actually, it's Jesus that is the cornerstone and that's why we love one another. We're not shaped on that. And so the world is being driven into loneliness and is desperate for a church that is willing to draw people in. People will come and meet Jesus, and that's incredible. What you get saved out of is incredibly important, but equally as important is what you get saved into. It's no point if you give your life to Jesus and then go out as a lone ranger. There's no lone rangers in the kingdom. The message is nullified if there is not others. It says, if you don't love others, if you don't serve others, if you don't lay down your life for others, then you actually don't know him. Last scripture, John, 2 John 1 verse 5 to 6. As you'll notice, this is why John Bitts called the disciple of love. Because from the moment he, he started to walk with Jesus, he was this zealous, ambitious, eager, young, fiery but Jesus saw something inside of him that he loved to the point that he was the disciple that was on Jesus' bosom. And he was super close to him and he was the disciple who Jesus loved because he was going to change from this radical young man at any cost to somebody who loved others above all else. And he says, I'm writing to you to remind you, my dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but it's the one we've had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and He has commanded us to love one another, just as you've heard from the beginning. It's like we never grow old from this, we never mature from this, we never move past this. It's not like, man, listen, I've been a part of a community for 17 years since Josh Jim was planted. I don't need to belong anymore. I can kind of 
I can do the Lone Ranger vibe. No, 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 no. To serve Jesus is to lay down your life and to love and to serve others all the time. It never changes. We never get past it. We never grow beyond it. There's no higher level of maturity where you all of a sudden become, I'm beyond this. No, no, no. This is the goal, is that we would lay down our lives, that we would love each other, that this congregation, that this church, that what God has placed us into, this is not a Sunday morning service. I was so nervous when I was preparing this preach. I was like, Lord, nobody's going to want to come back afterwards (laughs) because the expectation is so high. The reality is this, the expectation is so high. There is no compromise. There is no other way to cut this. You can't, it's not enough to come on a Sunday morning and listen to a preach and not be plugged into a community. That's not a believer. That's not the life of a believer. In this congregation, we have 120 people who go to community. It's amazing, right? On the average Sunday, we have over 200 people who come. And so even here in us, There are 80 people who actually aren't plugged in and a part of the family. That actually Sundays is sometimes where where, where it begins and ends for us. And that might be the door. But the heart is that it can't stay that way. That actually, in the same way that Jesus didn't reject John because he wanted to burn people. (laughs) He actually pulled him super close. But he loved him so much that he walked a journey with him and he changed him. And so even as, as we've had over the past two weeks, we've had praying and fasting together. And I want to tell you guys that as a part of this church, Sunday mornings is not it in terms of church. It is vitally important that we are connected and plugged in and are part of community life. Because even that, to come, to be a part of something on a Wednesday and a Sunday, that is at best lukewarm Christianity. There is so much more that Jesus has for you. There is a family for us to belong to. There is those that he's called us to love and live our lives out with. So now I've gotten a little heavy now, but I wanted to challenge you again this morning. And I'm not challenging you with what my perspective is. I'm challenging you with the truth of the word of God. This is what the Bible says. Do you believe that what the Bible says is the truth? Because if it is, then we have to live according to it. I know that's harsh, eh? There is this thing, there is this desire, I I have this tendency, it's a joke that I have with a friend of mine, I'm all about the vibe. I'm all about making a good vibe and making sure Oaks are happy and having a good time and I love to see people enjoying themselves. And even for me, I have to be so careful because sometimes I want to make sure that people are enjoying themselves and coming back and so often on a Sunday, if nobody comes, I, I feel like it reflects on me. I'm like, oh, maybe we didn't do something well or maybe we did something badly. And I realized that Actually, even for Dan, a message like this that confronts you with the truth, that Andrew did it last night as well when he challenged us with the truth of like, guys, our Bibles teach us that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. We don't get to set what that, we don't determine what it looks like. The Bible is very clear on this. I just wanted to read um, the scripture out of Matthew 11, verse 28. Um, something that the Lord has been speaking to me about, um, yeah, I just wanted to encourage us. It says, and then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, that part in particular, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Um, yeah, and even just hearing this message, um, it can be a heavy message, it, especially if you're introverted or shy or find it, um, maybe you work really long hours and just getting to community is really stretching on a Wednesday night in itself. Um, but, but the emphasis of the scripture being Jesus wants to teach us. He wants to teach us his ways. And, and when we live according to his ways and, um, and when the source is Jesus and not, not even just listening to this message and doing it because it's been said now, but turning to Jesus and um, like John did, allowing him to change us, allowing him to empower us by his spirit, we find life in these things that, that the, the burden isn't heavy, that it's actually a light, life-giving um, yoke. And the, Andrew recently said, there is a yoke, there is expectation, but it's, it's beautiful and it's life-giving and it's good for us. Um, and Andrew continually at the elders camp kept saying, the source matters, the source matters. You can do the right thing from a different place and, and that makes all the difference. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was fetching Julie from the airport and I had a couple of things that I needed to do logistically um, and I was running through them in my head and, and I felt the Lord impress on my heart and say, um, would you do these things for me today? And it almost caught me off guard because I was like, I'm, like I'm doing it for, I love Julie, I'm doing it for Julie. And the, things, the other things that I was doing, I was doing for others. And I felt the Lord say, I want you to do those things. It's good. And it's good to love Julie and it's good to love others. But I want you to do it for me. And the whole day I carried that through the, through the day. And there was just such joy and life in my heart. Even though I did the same things, I did it from a different place. When Jesus ended his ministry with his disciples, he was well aware that he left them completely ill-equipped and unable to do what he had left them to do. And so Jesus said this most incredible thing. He says, I'm going and it's better for you. I can imagine at that point they were like, uh, no. I'm going and it's better for you because if I go, the Father can send you the helper. And he can help you and remind you of my way of life. And so even this thing that I've spoken about today, exactly what Sam said, it can be seen as a heavy burden and now there's this stuff I have to do. But Jesus says, no, 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 my yoke is easy. My burden is light. To love others and think of them and, and lay your life down and serve, it's actually something that naturally comes out of relationship with him. But it's impossible to live out without His Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's impossible for every single one of us. And so I want to pray for us. It start, for John, it started like this. This radical disciple who was following John and, and just had this message of eternal burn, it started with this simple thing where Jesus met with him and He said to him, will you follow me? And it resulted in what we read about at the end of his life. And I feel like there's this call again this morning from the Lord. And he's saying, Sunny thou am, Declan, Sam, Julie, James, Rory, will you follow me? Will you follow me? I'll take off all the rough edges. I'll work with you. You are the work in prayer. I'll work with you. But will you follow me?